afternoon and welcome to the panel RNZ National. James Elliott and Sally Wendley with me today. Now a breakdown on State Highway 1 is blocking the middle right southbound lane before the Gillies Ave on-ramp pass on either side with extra care. So uh, there is a breakdown uh, just before the Gillies Ave on-ramp there, so do take care there. Well, the potential recession could be deeper and more prolonged than previously thought with the economy forecast to contract at levels last seen during the global financial crisis. Well, that's what the ASB Bank Bank predicts. ASB predicted the economy would contract about... 2% by early next year. That's more than half the decline seen during the GFC as living costs outstrip wage growth for many households. So we thought we'd come to this first. Mark Smith, Senior Economist from the ASB. Kia ora, Mark. Kia ora. So the recession to be deeper, longer than expected. Just explain these figures to us, Mark. Yeah, potentially around a 2% fall since the end of last year in terms of GDP by early next year. Now, that's going to be predominantly led by much weaker household spending. Uh, as you mentioned, the cost of living is a major headwind for household budgets, and we expect to see households cut back further. As well as that, we also expect government spending activity to cool as well. I uh, recall that household spending and government spending both really surged uh, during the the COVID wave. So if anything, this is the recession we sort of needed to have, given those things are only artificially held up. So the, the economy to contract by 2% in 2024, what impact um, do you think is, that's going to have on households? Again, it, it will be significant. Uh, it will depend on, on, on the household and yeah. circumstances. But on average, an extra $150 uh, for, for expenditures for households this year compared to, to less to next year. And that's really going to be ahead of, of their income growth. So if, if anything, households are feeling squeezed now, that squeeze is going to increase over the coming year. Do you mean around, on average, $150 per household per week? That's correct. That's the addition that this year will bring. That's pretty tough, isn't it? Gosh. That's significant, mm. isn't it, Sally Winley? Oh, it sure is. Um, Mark, interested to know, inflation is expected to remain above 7% for a while, isn't it, I think? Um, how high do you think it could get? Uh, that is a $64,000 question. At the moment, we're at 7.2%. We expect to remain around these levels over the first six months of this year, and then only hopefully decline after that. We don't expect inflation to fall below 3% until well into 2025. And again, this is increasingly unclear. And really the issue is how persistent those high rates of inflation are. Uh, recall we've been above 3% inflation for the last two years. We expect at least another two years more of this. Mm, James. Yeah, it's, Mark, I struggle with some of this as a, as a layperson with economics, things that sound counterintuitive. So one of the things I was reading about was saying that the stimulus during the pandemic was too successful that's led to a problem. And alongside that, another commentary that said our unemployment rate was too low to be beneficial for the that's economy. Often raised on the panel. Yeah, it seems counterintuitive. Yeah, they're both very good questions. Uh, in terms of the, the stimulus put in place, uh, the rationale for the Reserve Bank at the time and also the Treasury was essentially throw the kitchen sink to try and prevent a much worse outcome. But the thing with that COVID, we just didn't know what the impacts would be. So there was a lot of stimulus put in place. Unfortunately, that, that 
probably supported the economy too well. And as well as that, the supply side of the economy was constrained. So inflation was really the, the result, uh, not just here in New Zealand, but also across the rest of the world as well. Now, inflation uh, imposes significant costs throughout the economy. I recall 150 extra dollars per week for households. And the, the longer that inflation remains elevated, the harder it is to get down. So that what the Reserve Bank are doing now is to try and slow that inflation rate, and that means putting interest rates up, unfortunately, and that will really hurt the household sector. Yes, one of the comments I saw from someone as well about what we're calling the engineered recession, right, because it's been engineered by the Reserve Bank, that the only positive impact is that it will lower the inflation rate together with the pain that it causes. Is that right? Are there any other positive impacts other than that? Uh, Really, the, the major goal here is to try and lower inflation. You know, that's probably goal number one. Uh, goal number two will be the economy is incredibly unbalanced. By unbalanced, I mean investment and spending is running well ahead of saving. If you look at our current account deficit, it's around 9% of GDP, which is pretty much the highest on record. Now, an economy can't continue to do this. It's like maxing out your credit card. Eventually, you'll be forced to, to have to pay up. So the longer we run at these sorts of deficits, you know, the, the harder it's going to be. So if anything, slower growth will help lower the deficit and make New Zealand better off further down the track. Mark, who will Gosh. feel, who will feel you've mentioned uh, around $150 per week per household? That's what you've got to try and find there. Who will feel the brunt the most? Again, it's very uneven. I think households with very large mortgages, unfortunately, will, will bear most of the brunt. In terms of the increase in interest rates that we expect, uh, we expect... Um, a 300 basis point increase in interest rates since their trough uh, in late 2021. Uh, we're two-thirds of the way through there now, but there's an extra 100, 100 basis points or so to come. So the average impact of high debt servicing will be an extra $50 per week per household. But with households with larger mortgages, you know, it's running well into the hundreds for them. Gosh, yeah, this really is the story of the year, isn't it, uh, Sally? Um, there's no yeah, was... short-term fix on this. No, and I was trying to find something positive in amongst all of this, and I saw that tourism is starting to come back. Um, Mark, how will that affect our economy if the tourists start coming back to the level pre-COVID? Will that be much use? Uh, that will be a huge boost. Um, in part, our, our forecasts do allow for that. And, you know, that will be one of the, the good news stories for the economy. Not only will that boost um, economy-wide incomes, but it will also help correct, you know, that current account deficit as well if we're earning more money rather than spending it. So certainly positive. Um, tourism inflows are now starting to recover. We're running at around 2.5 to 3 million annualised, if you like, increase in tourism. The peak uh, before prior to COVID was around 4 million. So we're certainly well along the way, but we need to see this continue. And probably the, the one sort of headwind out there will be, you know, the global economy is also looking at a shake here as well. Yes, indeed, isn't it? Uh, Mark, uh, just, I want to run this by you, but New Zealand's economy was very much impacted as a result of the global financial crisis regarding unemployment. It jumped from 3.6% um, at the end of 2007 up to 6.1% by the end of 2010, with rates remaining close to, I think, about 6% right through to 2013. That was then. Will the same thing happen this time around? 
we will see our unemployment rates increase, but it will be from a, from a lower base, if you like. Uh, recall over the last sort of year or so, really the major com- complaint amongst firms is we just can't find enough staff. You know, labour shortages were the most acute in the last generation. Now, while we do expect those shortages to become less of an issue as the economy slows, uh, slows we also expect net migration into New Zealand to strengthen, and that should also increase the pool of available labour. So we do expect the unemployment rate to increase from uh, around so where we are, the low 3% mark, to just over 5% um, by, by late next year. Very interesting stuff, Mark. Thanks for your time. That's Mark Smith, their senior economist uh, at uh, ASB. It's, uh, it's a tough ask, isn't it, James, Sally, to try and uh, pull out of whatever um, an extra $150, $200 a week. Some oh. for some people more. Oh. It's really, yes. it's just tough, eh? When you think about people who are on say fixed, might be on a fixed rate mortgage, and a lot of people will choose a term of say between two to three years, say. So the people who will be coming off that fixed term uh, point after t- think what mm. the rate would have been fixed for them two and three years ago, how low that would have been at that time. What? We, we, three, may, three, and maybe yeah. So that, their, their rates may be doubling, maybe more than doubling if that's what they're going to be faced with. So that pool, there are stats about how many people are going to come off those fixed-term yep. rates in the next few months. That's going to be staggering, uh, you know, un- un- unaffordable. Yes. Sally? Mm, no, I, I just don't know what to say about that. It will just be so intimidating for so many people. 17 past four. You're on the panel on RNZ National. We have Sally Wendley and James Elliott with us this afternoon. We had a big uh, discussion about this yesterday and uh, a lot of response. Yesterday we discussed, of course, the government promises to reduce class sizes by one. 29 students per teacher down to 28 students per teacher by 2025. An extra 320 teachers were needed for that move. Educator Minister Jan Tanetti said she wanted to lower class sizes as she was concerned by downward trends in numeracy and literacy skills across schools. And we had Melanie. Melanie was a teacher of 27 years. She said it would make very little difference. And then we had our panellist Phil O'Reilly. He suggested there is just no evidence that lower class sizes work. There's a number of research studies, including some by the OECD, that demonstrates it's got no impact at all. That, in fact, class sizes have no impact on learning outcomes. And this this particular study, for example, says you'd be much better basically spending it on tutoring, early child care program, early childhood programs, or improving teacher quality. So we thought we'd run that by uh, an educational expert. Uh, interesting scenario there, Phil pointed out. We have now Dr. Kathy Wiley, the Chief Researcher uh, at the Council for Educational Research, NZCER. Dr. Wiley, kia ora. Kia ora. So we had a really big response to this. And Melanie, teacher of 27 years, she, her view was it would make little difference. So firstly... What do you make of Phil O'Reilly's assertion that there is no evidence? You've looked at this yourself. What can you tell us? Well, um, I think he's out of date. Um, there was I was part of Waitanga, which was an independent uh, review of uh, primary staffing in 2020, and 
there was an, uh, we, we had a literature review called Rethinking Class Size, a complex story of impact on teaching and learning that had just been done by Peter Blatchford and Anthony Russell. And Peter Blatchford's been researching class size for years. And, it, it, <laughs> you know, there is really good research showing that class size does make a difference to um, just the individual attention you can play, you can pay to uh, children and the way that you manage the class and the kind of um, the depth of learning that you can get. And in terms of... Um, the impact, it's particularly, you know, I just want to read you out a passage. Children in larger classes show less on-task and more off-task behaviour, particularly marked for low-attaining pupils. So, you wow. know, it, 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 there, is, there is really good evidence that you do have to think about the, the, the size of the class that, that teachers have and that students find themselves in. Okay, we'll cut to our, our panellists well, very, very soon. I just want to jump in and ask, though, um, uh, Dr. Wiley, Phil O'Reilly was saying, he was saying, okay, what is important? I mean, you've addressed the issue on, of updated research, but what, what is important more is focusing on those students that have particular needs. That's the best way to apportion resources. Well, this is the way that you can do it fairly for um, a, a range of students with different needs uh, rather than just you know, one sub- subgroup of those. So, um, you know, you, you do have to think about the class size. Um, bear in mind that this policy isn't uh, just about class size. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the addition of teachers, uh, it, it's trying to tackle... Um, you know, what, what are very high teacher-staffing ratio, teacher-child ratios in years four to eight, and um, looking at you know the changes in student attainment between the, you know the NUSSA, the National Monitoring Study of Student Attainment, sort of showing what looks like a decline between years four and eight, and the staffing ratios that the um, teacher, you know, that uh, principals may you know have at their disposal to make decisions about how many they'll, what the class sizes will actually be in their school, are, are really very high. Um, you know, when when as part of this independent review, um, we did a, we asked teachers what um, size class they actually had. Um, you know, we, we find that um, over a third of the um, teachers in years seven to eight had classes of more than thirty. That, I mean, that's not realistic, and and um, with today's students yeah. and the uh, a great a more sophisticated curriculum, that, you know, that we have now. Sally, that initial research that you referred to was that done in New Zealand? Uh, no, it was um, it was using uh, international studies, so studies across across the globe. Okay, because uh, thinking of New Zealand, we have such a diverse lot of schools. You know, some rural with smaller classes, some in town with larger ones, and um, and then there's so many neurodiv- neurodiverse students. Um, yes. I my question is, do you think that just having one fewer student will really make a difference? <laughs> um, bear in mind that this is about a staffing for a school, so it's not necessarily class size per se. So there's, we've got the research on class size, and what this is doing is giving an additional resource to, to, to schools to use for that for the years um, you know, four to eight. Um, so it's trying to give more resource, and they may use that in different ways. It doesn't necessarily, you know, if you think about it as a class, it may not seem to have much of an impact, but in terms of being able to... Um, 
you know, think about, you know, sort of how, how to use it. They may use it for a specialist teacher, for example. And um, the other thing is that one of the things that I'm heartened by in the, you know, I, you know, I agree that one one uh, more teacher per se isn't going to make, make much difference, but the announcement came with a kind of, you know, we're going to get a group together to look at this and make sure we've got a, a timetable to increase the staffing um, over time. And that's that, that was heartening. The other thing that heartens me is that in the collective contract negotiations for primary staffing, which are happening now, um, there's, a, there's a, a big increase in the classroom release time that teachers have to work together and to share um, you know, information about how their students are doing and about what's working well right. so that you can use that and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. James? Well, I think the messaging that we were told yesterday of reducing this ratio from 1 to 29 to 1 to 28, I think that's a damning indictment on our numeracy skills to start with for people to think that 1 28th is actually going to make a difference on a one-on-one basis. But the perspective I bring to it is, so I'm English language teacher at a private oh, language okay. school, we yep. have a maximum of 14 students Do in our you? classes. Now, that may or not be comparable with primary school, of course. So these are young adult learners, but our yeah, maximum class size 14, so I couldn't get my head around... 20 you, much can't, less. you can't imagine 28 or 29. Oh. Let me ask you this, Dr. Wallet, because we brought this up yesterday. Guess what happened? We had uh, quite a few people uh, of perhaps um, more senior people saying, hang on, we had big classes. Here's one. I was educated in the 50s, New Zealand school system. I can recall class sizes of 30 being normal at all schools. I don't recall any expectation of individual attention from teachers except in case of illness. Here's another. As a secondary teacher of 35 years, as HOD, uh, here's a photo of my year six class in the 60s, 40 students. So how would you respond to those and others? <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm of that generation and, um, you know, I can look back and think, well, you know, half the students I in, in my fifth form year disappeared at the end of that year. I mean... <laughs> You know that was they were not good years in terms of um, ensuring that all students uh, had a rich curriculum and that they all achieved educationally, and some of the inequalities that we have in education and some of the, you know, the long-standing issues with, for example, mathematics. You know, you can you can take back to those years, so it, it's not a. <laughs> Um, I don't look on, on those as golden years ah. and saying, well, that, that's the standard that you know we, we can we can pit ourselves against. I mean, I think it's it's um, more you know <laughs> yes, but those that that was the time. But we understand more now about you know really good teaching and learning, and we know um, more about what what goes into it. Um, so that's you know yes, private schools like to advertise that they have smaller classes, and you know. <laughs> for a reason. And why? Okay. For a reason. Right. For a reason. Hey, so, Dr. Wiley, Dr. Wiley, just quickly, what would be the ideal number of students you'd like to see in each class? Whoa. <laughs> um, well, I, I suppose if, if you gave me a magic wand and you said the government was not limited in terms of the resourcing it could put into education, which is really what we need to tackle. Um, then I would would say something like, well, if we could have, you know, um, around 20, I'd be very happy. One to 20 ratio. Very interesting, oh. Dr. Wiley. Kia ora. That's uh, the Chief Researcher at the Council for Educational Research at the NZCER. The panel, 
Sally Winley, James Elliott, your bit of response uh, to that this afternoon. Now, imagine being invited to the King's coronation. The coronation of Charles III and his wife Camilla as King and Queen of the UK. Up the aisle, Westminster. Former All Blacks Captain Richie McCall, he'll be there, of course. Willie Apiata, he's got a ticket. King Tohatia, all great. All really, really great. But are we missing anybody? This is who I'd pick. What could be better than having Charles and Camilla go down the yard while you're laughing with loyal to Sir Sir Dave Dobbin? Uh, What about the Blackburns co-captain, Ruahi Demand? What about Dr Chris Warner from Shortland Street? (laughs) And what about the Kiwi Bank Young New Zealander of the Year trans activist, Chanel Lyle? So you've got your Dobbins, you've got your Chris Warners, you've got your Chanel's, you've got your white cis men. Who else must be at the coronation? Round the panel. Well, um, somebody who... Somebody who is going, which I think is great, is Abdul Aziz, who was in, um, involved well, in that horrific massacre in Christchurch. Good so call. I think that is excellent. And also, obviously, our Governor-General, Dame Cindy Kiro. And um, I think along with them should be um, myself and um, somebody I think you said earlier, Tama Iti. Now, um, Tama Iti, who actually did bear his buttocks to the Queen many years ago, he has turned himself around, and I think he would did be he need a good to turn himself diversity. around. And, and myself as a firm royalist who has covered a royal tour as a journalist when the Queen was here. Oh, you're and putting I yourself a substantial collection. <laughs> yes, I think yourself- I would be... Ex- yeah. And, um, well, and also, I would call, um, have a wee chat to the king. Now, um, each time they do a coronation, they have a dish that they say is yep. the actual coronation dish. And the queen had a chicken curry dish. And have you heard what the king's making and promoting? Quiche. Uh, quiche. Yeah, quiche. <gasps> All right, so you are no. um, a wonderful uh, producer here, uh, Flo, says uh, she had put the top twins. Uh, I'm actually I'm, I'm, I'm actually amazed at your arrogance that you're going to put yourself <laughs> forward. And so on that, I'm going to think, okay, okay, what about this? I've never said this before. W- why, can't I, why can't the panel go? Why can't the panel go to the coronation? I've never been, invo- I've never been asked. Boss never said, Wallace, <laughs> why don't we take the panel to the coronation? Well, imagine, imagine the yes, king doing Sarah an I've Wallace. No, I think no, no. You could. Listen, yes. imagine the king doing an I've been thinking. That would be breaking news. It would be breaking news, depending oh, on what he's been thinking about. <laughs> Maybe we don't want to know what he's been thinking about. Wouldn't I that don't be know. great? And I've been thinking by the by. He'd, he'd do it. Yeah, he changed, well, Dave Dobbin can change the lyrics. He could sing ro- uh, loyal. He can sing royal instead of loyal. Uh, who would you Who would you take? Well, I think it's oh, not, very good. I think it's an opportunity to signal a little bit of republican sentiment that might be coming from New Zealand. So I'm thinking we could send a few kings of our own, hip hop artist, hip and supremo King Capisi. Brilliant, Mike King, mental health advocate. That's another king, Joel King, squash supremo. So send some kings of our own. 
Oh, interesting stuff. Mm. All right. Um, don't forget the Briscoes, lady. Uh, maybe on, maybe, maybe not. Uh, Brian Tamaki, maybe, maybe not. Uh, who would you uh, send 